Who were they? And where did they come from? I'm talking about the so-called Magi, those mysterious men who were the very first non-Jews to adore Jesus Christ. In that sense, they prefigured all those Gentiles, all those non-Jews like us, although there is one Jewish woman present here, so I should make that exception, but she's worshiping Jesus here with us too, praise God. But these Magi prefigured the rest of us, non-Jews, who would worship Jesus in future generations. Here, on this particular feast, we are reminded of the fact that Jesus came into this world to save everybody, Jew and Gentile alike. So who were they? And where were they from? Well, according to the Bible, they were from the east. Now, that covers a lot of ground. Literally, it covers a lot of ground. But in all likelihood, they came from ancient Persia, a land known now to the world as Iran. It would be nice if more wise men came out of that country now, wouldn't it be nice? We can pray for that. They are not identified, interestingly enough, as kings in the Bible, at least not directly. That idea comes from today's responsorial psalm, Psalm 72, part of which says, The kings of Tarshish and the Isles shall offer gifts. The kings of Arabia and Seba shall bring tribute. All kings shall pay him homage. All nations shall serve him. This prophecy predicts that even non-Jews and non-Jewish kings, leaders, will pay homage to the Messiah when he comes. And since the Magi, as I said a few moments ago, were the first non-Jews to adore the Savior, many believe that this prophecy of Psalm 72 was fulfilled in them when they visited the baby Jesus after his birth. But that does not mean they were kings themselves. And in all likelihood, they were not, in spite of the song that we sang at the beginning of our liturgy today. However, in all likelihood, they were the teachers of kings. The teachers of the kings of Persia. They took on that role in their own country because they were so highly educated. They were skilled in philosophy, they were skilled in medicine, they were skilled and learned in the natural sciences. They were also stargazers who mixed a little science with a little astrological superstition. But that's understandable since this was an era of human history when most people believed in astrology. I like the portrayal of them in the new movie, The Nativity Story. I know many of you have seen it. It's an excellent portrayal, I think, of these men. It shows them as scholarly, intelligent, analytical, and it also shows them as having a very good sense of humor. And I would say that last point is historically accurate, given the fact that the distance between ancient Persia and Bethlehem was over a thousand miles. 
How would you like to travel on a camel for a thousand miles? For several months? You better have a good sense of humor if you're going to do that. Most of us have accepted the fact, the notion, that there were three of them. However, did you notice the Bible does not specify a number? The idea that there were three magi comes from the fact that there were three gifts given, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Neither does the Bible say that their names were Gaspar, Balthazar, and Melchior. Those are their traditional names, right? But those only date back to about the 7th century. As I said earlier, these magi, in spite of their mysteriousness, represent the Gentile world. They represent God's desire to save all of humanity, you, me, everybody, through his Son. But at the same time, they remind us of an important truth that I think has been largely forgotten in our technological age. They remind us that science and religion are not natural enemies. Please hear that, everybody, but especially young people. I say that because at some point in the future, you will probably be taught in school by somebody that religion and science are enemies, irreconcilable enemies. But that's not true. You need to understand, that's a lie. These magi were learned men who saw no contradiction whatsoever between their scientific study of the universe, of the heavens, and the truths of Jewish biblical prophecy. In that sense, they were men of science and men of religion. Today, of course, the implication is you have to choose to live in one camp or the other, right? Either you have to say, I'm a religious person, so I don't buy a lot of that scientific stuff. Or you have to say, I'm a rational, scientific person, so I reject all of that religious mumbo-jumbo. Or at least most of it. To this, the Catholic Church says, no. The Catholic Church says, that's a false separation. That's a false dichotomy. The church says when it comes to religion and science, it's not either or. At least it shouldn't be. It should be both and. As Catholics, therefore, we should say amen. We should say yes to good theology. Now, there's a lot of bad theology out there. But we should say amen to the good stuff to the kind of theology, for example, that's found in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And at the same time, we should say yes, amen, to good science. On the other hand, we should say no to bad theology. Theology, in other words, it's not compatible with the teaching of the Church. And at the same time, we should say no to bad science. That last point, incidentally, is the real crux of the issue. The church is often portrayed as the enemy of scientific inquiry, as the enemy of scientific study. What the church is actually the enemy of is bad science. Science, in other words, that is used, or misused, should I say, 
to destroy or harm innocent human life. Science that undermines the dignity of the human person. That's what the church is against. And that's what every Catholic should be against. That's what every human being should be against. People are often surprised when I tell them that some of my most devout parishioners, some of the best Catholics I know here at St. Pius X Church, are people of science. People of science who incidentally have some pretty impressive credentials. I could give you lots of examples of this phenomenon this morning, but I'll mention only one. We have a parishioner who has two doctorates, an MD degree, medical doctor degree, and a PhD. A brain surgeon, and I don't mean that figuratively, he's literally a brain surgeon who takes his Catholic faith very seriously. So much so that one of the first things he did when he joined our parish was to request a meeting with me so that he could learn how to become a better apologist for Catholicism. Not an apologizer. He didn't want to go around saying, gee, I'm sorry I'm Catholic. You know, I'm a doctor, but I'm sorry. No, an apologist is a defender of the faith. This man wanted some good information, some good reading material, so that he could learn how to be a better defender of what we believe as Catholics. I thought that was great. So I happily provided him with lots of information. Now he wants to start doing some writing for various publications so that he can put his vast medical and scientific knowledge to use in defense of the gospel. Obviously, this man doesn't see any contradiction between what he reads in the Catechism of the Catholic Church and what he's done in the operating room, working on people's brains. In that respect, he is a modern-day descendant of the Magi. He's what I would call a spiritual descendant of those mysterious men from the East, those great men of science and faith who visited Jesus our Savior on the very first epiphany. Let's pray at this Mass that there will be many, many more of these descendants around in the future. Because believe me, my brothers and sisters, our modern world desperately needs them.